ahead and go through four. There's only two chapters left, so we got chapter four and chapter five. We'll start in chapter four, verse one. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of disputation, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Verse 7. The end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterance of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange things was happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Jesus, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. <coughs> so there's a lot to unpack in, in chapter four, right? Um, in verses one and two, Peter's main point is that when we're willing to suffer, as Christians, at the point of our suffering, either two things happen. Either you fall back into doing, like Lee said, you, you become disobedient and you just don't even consider what, what it is you're supposed to be doing. Or when you go into suffering and you consider what God says and what his promises are, then the central portion of sin in your life is depleted. Because you're no longer thinking about yourself. You're thinking about what God has in store for you and what he's done for you. And so when you suffer in obedience, that just shows the fruit of your character. That shows that sin no longer has control of who you are. Right? 
Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So I don't think all of us or any of us have suffered to the point where we've completely ceased from sin. Right? Jesus suffered so much that he sweat drops of blood. There's another verse in here that says we haven't even gotten to that point. I mean, that's serious suffering. And so we'll never totally be free from sin until the day we go home. James chapter 3, verse 2 says, we all stumble in many ways. All of us stumble in many ways, right? So when we're willing to suffer or endure suffering, we're actually allowing our new life as new creatures to now walk in a purpose that's no longer according to our flesh, but it's according to the spirit. Okay. So verses three and four talks about our current lives. And this is where we can unpack some stuff. For the time already passed is sufficient for you. So the time before you got here, where you're at right now in these seats, was sufficient for you. It was sufficient for you to already have carried out all of the desires that you once had. Drinking, partying, all the things that the world has to offer. Before you got to this seat that you're in today, yesterday and all the days before were enough to follow out the desires of your flesh. Okay? And so now today, when we leave these seats, it you get around people that you used to know, it's going to be strange to them that you no longer have the desire to do the things that you used to do. Because in all this, they are surprised that you don't run with them into the same things. So if I leave this chapel today and I go out around the same people and I do the, the, the same things, there's no surprise. They ain't surprised. You know what I'm saying? They're not surprised. Now, if I live a life of obedience and, and according to what God says, knowing that my identity is in him and that I'm supposed to be like him and every day I get closer to him and I, I begin to look more like him. Now, when I get around the same people and they're wanting to drink and do all these things and I just step back, they're shocked. Because they don't understand that I'm a new being. I'm a new creature in Christ. I do new things. All the old things have passed away. All the old things that y'all are doing now that... I no longer have a value on because I value myself because God values me. Now they're shocked and they're surprised that I'm not interested in drinking 40s no more. I'm not willing to get myself stuck in the same things that they're doing. For some reason, I just thought about a song that Nas did where he was talking about these old men that were still 12 years old. If now they're 60 years old and they're doing the same things that they were doing when they were 12 and not I'm, I'm different, which is weird if you think about it, because I'm using a, a, a hip hop metaphor or a person to influence in the hip hop community. But he's pretty much saying the same thing that what the Bible says. The people that were 12 years old drinking 40s are now 60 years old and still drinking 40s. They're still 12 years old in their mind. Right. And so the time passed is sufficient for us to have carried out all the desires that we could possibly desire. But now today is a different day. We have to move past that. 
you know, Corinthians chapter 13. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I spoke like a child. I reasoned as a child. But now that I'm a man, I put away all the childish things. So I'm still a child. I'm a child of God where before I was a, a child of disobedience. I put away those childish things and now I step into a new life of a child of God. Right. And so in all these things, they're surprised that you don't run with them no more. Now, when you go home and you get around them, if there ain't no surprise, maybe maybe we got to restart somewhere. Right. <clears throat> but in verse five, it says, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. I was talking to Levine last night. We're all going to be judged. We're going to be the first ones that, that come to the Lord because we're supposed to be his. We enter judgment first, right? And so even if I don't run with them anymore and they're surprised and all that, they're still going to try to get me to do the things that I used to do. And it's up to me to, to obey the Lord and say, it just it ain't worth it no more. And so when I do that, they're surprised. And then at their surprisal, they start getting upset, calling you names and and throwing rocks in a glass house and all this stuff. They call the, the kettle black. And at the end of the day, none of that matters because they're going to be judged too. It says they will give an account to him. So the gospel has already for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, dead in spirit, which would be the people that we just came out of. And so as believers, we should have nothing to do with sensuality, drinking, parties, orgy, none of that stuff. We shouldn't have anything to do with that, right? Even though we're supposed to be light in the darkness, that doesn't mean we go to the darkness to try to bring some light to it, right? You can't, if you're an alcoholic, you can't go to the bar and try to save some. You know what I'm saying? If you had a problem with strip clubs, you can't go into the strip club and try to save a couple. You know what I'm saying? It don't work like that. It, it just don't. God calls people to himself, regardless of whether you do something or not. He will do it if he wants to. I mean, the, the there's an issue. And I, and I used to I have a friend that lives in Charlotte and we were talking about this. God doesn't need us to spread the gospel. You realize that because in Romans. It says that the heavens and the earth declare his majesty. OK, now we're all wrapped up in missions. We want to go do missions and reach the unreached people groups and all this. But in reality, if you never reach them, they still ain't got an excuse. Because Romans says that nobody has an excuse. So if you don't go to the strip club and you don't go to the bar, you don't go to the trap house and you don't try to bring light into the darkness, it doesn't matter because nobody is going to have an excuse at the end of the day. God will reveal himself to who he wants to reveal himself to. We're just lucky that he's already revealed himself to us through his son because we've heard the word. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. We could stay there for like 45 minutes, okay? Because this is this is big. I always say that we know two things about God. One, he's a spirit, and two, God is love. So if God is a spirit of love, then that means God covers a multitude of sins. Amen. 
not you and I, but God covers a multitude of sins, right? Which is the reason why he went to the cross. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, right? So God is the one that covers a multitude of sins. Now, if God lives in us, it's our job to spread that love in order that people will come to him so his love will cover their sins, right? It's not my love that's going to cover their sins. It's his love that's going to cover their sins. And so as each one of us has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So stewardship is a, is a nobody likes to talk about that because it, it actually puts some partition participation on your part, right? Faith without legs can't walk. So we have things that we're to steward, like our families, for one. It's our job to steward our families. Stewardship means that God has given you some things and he wants you to manage it, cultivate it, and take care of it. The first thing that God gave Adam in the garden was what, mule? A job. Okay? Now, after that, then the woman came. So we got responsibilities first, we got a job first, and then we're able to go into a relationship with another person because we've stewarded what he's given us and now we know that it takes a lot to take care of just me. So when I can take care of me, then I'm able to take care of a family, right? And so stewardship, there's a lot of things that we need to steward. You know, you can, there's a sign in the dining room that says, eat whatever you want, but only take what you'll eat, right? But how many of us overeat and overconsume, and then we get too much on our plate and we only eat what we really want and then we throw the rest away? In reality, that's a good picture of stewardship because God gives us a lot of things. But what do we do with those things? Do we overeat on them and then just throw the rest away? Talents. We can go back to the parable of the talents. There's a ton of different things that we're supposed to steward. Mainly, we're supposed to steward the gifts. The gifts are not for us. The gifts are for everybody else. And God's going to give everybody in here has at least one gift. You may not know what that gift is. You may not have opened that gift yet. But God has given everyone a gift, okay? Whether it be prophetic gifting, speaking, teaching, serving, whatever it is, God's given everybody a gift and it's your job to figure out what that gift is. And then once you figure it out, it's your job to give it away to somebody else. Okay. And so stewardship is a big deal. There's value in the things that God gives you. He doesn't give things to us because there's no value in those. We learn a lot about God through stewardship, right? You know, if God if God gives me a brand new pair of Jordans, brand new, $160 pair of Jordans, right? And I'm like, yes, thank you, Lord. I needed some shoes. But then a brother comes in and he, he really ain't got no shoes. And God says, just give him them shoes. What do I do with that? Am I concerned about the value of the shoes? And my concern about how I'm going to look if I ain't got these Jordans on no more. At the end of the day, he God gave them to me. So it's up to me what I want to do with it. I can give them away or I can, or I can keep them. It's really up to me. But then the old cliche is what would Jesus do? A lot of people made a lot of money off that little slogan. But there's truth in that. What would Jesus do? 
Well, for one, I didn't have no shoes and he gave me some shoes. Well, when I got the shoes, now I've accumulated a couple more pair. I got plenty of shoes. Shoes ain't the problem. Do I give them away or am I concerned about how I look and how I feel and how the, I mean, you know how a new pair of shoes is. I mean, you you feel like the man when you got some fresh shoes. You know what I mean? Like, it, or a haircut, whatever. A new hoodie, a new jacket. Like, there's something about that that just makes you feel better about who you are as a person. When in reality, whether you had the shoes on or off, you're still the same person with or without them. And so when things come, pride has a tendency to build up or arrogance has a tendency to come up. And, and stewarding what God has given you is really gonna help build your relationship. I mean, I'll put it to you this way. A person who never had much values the little things, okay? A person who had that golden spoon, they don't have a whole lot of value in it because they just know that if if I give them away, I'm gonna just get some new ones. So it's harder for, for the man without need to actually give them away than it is for the man who has something. So it'll show my growth if the brother comes in and he he ain't really got no shoes to wear. And I say, you know what? It's just shoes. Because at the end of the day, I'm concerned about shoes. But what about the man that ain't got no feet? He ain't got no feet. He don't care about no shoes. And I put value on the shoes when I should put value in what God's given me, my two feet. Right. And so stewardship is a big thing. You know, you we, we all have to learn how to steward things. You know, I got I get a brand new Bible. I've given so many Bibles away. It's ridiculous. I value the word. It's not that I don't value the word. But I put value in you because you you want to learn, you want to grow, you want to do something. If I if I can give you the right Bible to help you move forward. Amen. I'll get another Bible. I'm not trying to call anybody out, but there's a couple people here. They come in with nothing. When I was here the last time, my closet was stacked with clothes. I made it a habit. Every time a donation come in, I would pilfer. I would I would get 15, 20 shirts. I'd hang them all. If I never even wore them, who cares? Because when somebody came in, when you're working at the front, you see what people got when they come in, right? Most of us don't see it. But when you're up at the front and you go through that bag, a book bag, and that's all the man got. Something in you says, go get some of them clothes out of that closet. Because I gave you all the clothes anyways. Go get go get all the dress shirts you got and jeans and give it to them. And then what happens? Through our stewardship, God, <laughs> he multiplies what he gave you the first time because he sees that you're doing good with it. Right? And so stewardship is huge in the kingdom. Right. 10 and 11, as each one has received a special gift, employed and serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one speaking the utterance of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. By me stewarding the gifts and things that he has given me for other people. He's glorified. He's not glorified because he gave me gifts. He's glorified because I stewarded the gifts well and I gave them away. Right. Love isn't really love unless it's given away without expectation. 
Me and, me and Bond were talking about that last night. Love is really only love if it's given away without expectation of anything coming back to itself. Right? And so that's where we have a lot of issues with relationships because we'll be quick to say the three letter or the four letter word. I love you. You know, I love you. I love you because I know if I say it, I'm getting something in return for that. You're going to do my laundry. You're going to do my dishes. You're going to, you know, whatever it is. But the reality is if I genuinely love my wife, I love her without expectation of anything coming back, whether she does my dishes, whether she does the laundry, whether she takes care of the baby, whether she puts gas in the car, checks the, or none of that matters at the end of the day, because I shouldn't expect anything in return if I truly love her, because God gave everything he had without expectation of anybody coming. Right. But he's glorified when we steward things that he's given us for the body. Right. There's certain gifts that are for the body and there's certain gifts that are not for the body. But all the gifts can be used in any way that God wants to use them through you. Right. We're all vessels. And so we get into chapter five. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you. As your fellow elder and witness to the suffering of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit and be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Sylvanius, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love and peace be to you who are in Christ Jesus. So I want you to notice what 13 says. And so does my son, Mark. This is why I was doing first Peter first. Because Peter mentions Mark, which is John Mark. So the next series that we're going to do is going to be the book of Mark. OK, it's good to, to teach in that order. But there's a lot here, too. Therefore, I exalt the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness to the suffering of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, but not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not yet as lording it over these allotted to your charge, but proven to be examples to the flock. So. 
you know, we did the little thing in the, the dining room the other night. And I said, everybody was an influencer. Everybody had influence on somebody, right? People watch what you do. People follow you. Even if you don't think you have followers, people follow you and they watch what you do. Okay. And that's what he's saying right here is that shepherd the flock that God has given you. Okay. Mainly your family first. Because that's, that's your first ministry is your family. And people will argue that, and most of those people, they're just, you know, religious. But God gave you a family. You're to be the head of that family. And if you're the head of that family, then you're supposed to shepherd your family, right? That's what the Bible says. Train a child up in the way it should go, and when he gets old, he won't depart from it. If you don't train him in the way it should go, later on, he's just going to depart from it. So there's some stewardship, and there's some shepherding that you have to do with your family, okay? But. The main thing about all of this is, is that people watch what you do. And in watching what you do, they also will do what it is you do. If you walk crooked, they walk crooked because they look up to you. You know, a good example is, is, is Brandon. Brandon will follow everybody in here around the house all day long until he finds that one person that just says, Come on, let's go. And that's the that's the truth. That's the truth. Because he's looking, he's looking for somebody to 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 cling to that he can walk behind and learn something from. And and that's good. That's that's phenomenal. But just be careful who you walk with. You watch the way that they walk. So that way, if if you get out in the world, it's going to be the same thing. You're not going to be walking with the same people that are here now. When you go home, you're going to have to find somebody else that you can walk with. You know, Jesus led 12 guys for three years, and 12 people changed the world. He fed 3,000. He fed 5,000. All of them disappeared. He invested his life into 12 individuals. Jesus didn't have a huge group of friends. At all. He took three years of his life and took everything he had and he invested it in 12 guys. And out of that, 12 guys changed the whole world. That's why small groups are so important and life groups are so important. Because we all follow somebody. If we're not willing to sit under somebody else's authority, we're just going to buck all the time. And that's just, even me, I sit, I sit under somebody. You sit under somebody, you sit under somebody, you sit under somebody. And the reason for that is because I'm after, my, my walk is different than yours. Your walk is different than mine. There's people that I can reach that you can't reach. And so you have to sit under authority and submit yourselves to that authority in order to learn the way that you need to move. And once you get to a point, I mean, it's just like Peter said right here in verse 15. So does my son, Mark. Mark sat under Peter. Mark listened and and hung on to everything Peter said. He watched Peter when he went to prayer. He watched him when he was healing people and doing all these things. And so Mark sat under authority. But we know that God is the number one authority. But even still, you still have to learn from somebody. Okay. And so when we subject ourselves and we, we say, you know what? I can't do this alone. 
Because if I do, I'll stray every single time. I need to find somebody. And in doing that, in my pursuit of sitting under authority, I have to watch who it is that I want to sit under. Right? And so when it comes to shepherding a flock, people are going to be attached to you. Not everybody is going to have the same people. That's, I mean, like I said, you watch Brandon. Brandon goes here, there, everywhere. Every, he's, he's looking for somebody that's going to say, you know what? Just sit still. I'm going to show you. And we all do that, whether we realize it or not. Everybody has that one person here that they go to to get some godly counsel from. On those bad days, you have that one guy that you trust enough to go to and say, look, I need, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what I need, but I need something. And believe it or not, even though Brandon's searching, someone you will go to Brandon. Right? So all of us have the potential to be great leaders, and we have to start with where we're at. We have to steward what God's given us. And we have to subject ourselves to one another as long as everybody is subjected to God. He's the main authority. The reason we fell in the garden was because we second-guessed what God said. And that's just the truth. Verse 4, and when the shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. I'm all about crowns. I got a really good wife. I was... I know Haitian church was long yesterday, but I kind of enjoyed a lot of what the pastor was saying. Because I haven't always appreciated what God's given me. I haven't always appreciated my wife the way that I should. And even though he was taking more jabs at the women than he was, you know what I'm saying, bringing out the good, he had some very valid points. You know, and when he was talking about you know, think about the first time you met your wife and how that made you feel. I should feel like that every day, man. I should feel like that every single day, but the truth is I don't. And I'm sure she don't. But we're growing together. You know, we grow together. Well, you've been a little bit of both. You can't, you can't judge her. Yeah, you, you, you've been a little bit of both. You know what I mean? Uh, I've been a little bit of both. She's been a little bit of both. Absolutely. It's more than just peace, though. I mean, it's more than just peace. And, and, and a lot of times that's my issue is that I look at what the situation is versus what's really going on. Because situations and circumstances can always have the potential to make you look at somebody different. And in reality, your feelings don't matter. My feelings don't matter. There's a difference between what I feel and what I know. And what I know is, is that God loves her and God loves me equally. And so regardless of my feelings and my circumstances, I have to love her the way that he loves her. I mean, that's that's the only way around it, because when I worry about how I feel, 
I step into a, a place of pride because it's all about me. It ain't about we. It's easy to pass judgment on somebody else. Man, and normally judgment comes because we want to elevate ourselves higher than the other individual to make them look less of a person than we are. So it makes us feel good about who we are. And it's not supposed to be that way. We all fall short. So even in my fallen state, she also fell too. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of times our wives and, and our our relationships will normally fall because of us. Because women, I'm not getting into feminism and all that, but women look to us to be led. That's how it was intended to be. And so if I start doing wrong or I stop going to church, what happens? She stops going to church. And so I have to be persistent in stewarding what God's given me. I need to go to church and pray with her and do devotions with her, spend time with her, stay off my phone as much. There's some things that I got to do if I really want it to work. And so once we get to that point where we, where we realize that she's just as messed up as I am, I, I really can't point the finger at anybody. You know, we like to do this when really it should be like this. But also in all of his letters, speaking in them in these things in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm in the wrong book. No, I'm not. Yeah, I am. The wind. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit and be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So when you humble yourselves, God will exalt you at the proper time. Right. And then it says, cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And the other night we were doing worship and I, I was thinking about that particular verse about how we worry and how we get anxious about stuff and how worry. Is its own tree. And the root system of worry is pride because we don't believe God is going to do what he says he will do a lot of times. And so we worry. And when you worry, that brings anxiety. And when anxiety comes, you just ah, just go off the deep end. Right. And it says, cast all of your anxiety on him. So if I'm worried, it's because I don't take God at his word. I don't take God at, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not just some, I can do all things. And when I worry, I'm pretty much saying, well, I, I can take care of this better than God can. Right? But the Bible says, cast all of those things on him because he actually cares for you. 
A lot of times we forget that he cares for us. That's what I've lacked in my whole life is, is somebody to actually care for me and to love me the way that I should have been loved. Now, that's not anybody's fault, really, because we did the same thing to other people. That's just the fallen state of man. We don't know how to love correctly, and it's hard to be loved. A lot of us are harder to love than others. I mean, because we got these walls up and these strongholds, and it's like, well, you want to try to come love me? I got this brick wall up, and I'm just going to step back, and I'm going to examine your motives. And the reason I examine your motives is because I, before I had that wall up, I allowed somebody to love me. And when that love came, it ended up being hurt. So I started building a wall and I'm not going to allow myself to get hurt anymore. And so now when you say, oh, uh, you know, I love you, I, I question, do you really love me or are you just trying to extort me or are you trying to manipulate me? Or if you give me $100, I know you're expecting this 100 back plus some. So there's a wall there. Matter of fact, keep your $100. <laughs> Because I'm not going to allow you to get through this wall and hurt me again. And once we come to the knowledge that God actually cares for us and we start taking down the bricks and we start taking down the walls, we have to realize that people will hurt you. They will fail you. They will let you down. And that's going to be a consistent basis. Your mom, your father, your wife, your kids, everybody is going to let you down at some point in life. But God will not. More times than less, we let him down. And when we let him down... Oh, well, he still says, come on, let's go. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I need to be established. I need to be established. Mainly in this. I need to be, a, this is where it starts, in the word. This is where my foundation is built. If I have a firm foundation, he'll establish me. Greet one another with, matter of fact, don't do this one. Don't give me a kiss of love. Just give me the peace, you know what I mean? Just peace be to you all who are in Christ Jesus. If one of y'all try to kiss me on the cheek, it's going to be... Be that fivefold ministry mule. 